Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. For those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. For those of you who tuned in a few weeks ago, you heard that my friend and I, Chris Logan, looked back on 1988 and all the albums that are turning 30 this year, which is hard to believe. We discussed our 15 best each to go for a total of 30 for 30. And we had so much fun doing that, we thought we would look into 1993 with albums that are turning 25 years this year in 2018. Like we did 15 apiece for last time, we thought we'd do 12 for each for this time for 25 with one tiebreaker that we mutually enjoyed. So we're going to discuss that. Chris is an old friend from grade school. We've always been both musical obsessive. We always love talking music together. So it's fun looking back on these albums with him. So sit back and enjoy. He's looking back from one of the best musical years from the 90s with some musical touchstones for Generation X. Well, I guess uh, let's try to give some perspective to everybody who's tuning in here. Uh, last time we got together, we talked about 1988, and it was a really great year. For, yeah. A really great year for alternative rock and metal, and we had a lot of good stuff. We thought it was so much fun. We tried doing it again. Instead of 30 years, we're going to do 25 years tonight. We're going to do the best of 1993. <laughs> and 93, it was an interesting period because by 93, alternative rock was kind of had become from the underground, it was now the mainstream. That's what I really, when I look back on yep. it, you know, like 91 was a breakthrough because he had Nevermind and it was like the Trojan horse, everything else kind yeah. of fell behind it. And by 93, it was like, that was the music of pop culture. It was alternative rock and weird stuff was popular. And it was a very, uh, I thought it was a very fun time, especially, I mean, it being our age and everything. It was really like, you kind of felt like the inmates had the keys to the asylum, you know, it, we kind of felt like we had the run of stuff and it was a pretty, I thought it was a pretty, really fun, cool, interesting time. I felt like a veteran because we had already kind of grown up a little bit uh, with the, some of those, you know, breakouts that were happening in the late 80s. Um, and then what I mean late 80s, I'm like 88, 89, you know, like going back on the last episode where I had Sonic Youth Daydream Nation. Well, within five years, six years, you know, they're, they're being played on mainstream radio. And that was, well, I, it was really surprising. <laughs> in, in some ways, for some people, it was appalling. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, it, it, it was a natural progression. Alternative was, was, it wasn't just college rock anymore. It was a, you know, viable way to sell records now. They had their own radio stations in New York and L.A. We had one here in Dallas-Fort Worth area. And That's right. You know, I mean, it, it was it – was, it had its own group of kids now, just like you had your country kids in high school and your Hesher kids and the preppy kids who liked to listen to the Jets and Debbie Gibson and stuff like that back then, you know, now – Alternative music has its own group of kids, and they the culture they multiplied exponentially. And they oh yeah, oh yeah. And it was that really weird yeah. per- period too, where it was like you were happy that your bands were getting successful, but you don't want to get a little bit too successful because then you had to share them with the whole world, which is a really selfish, very right. adolescent thing. But a, a sense of ownership people get with bands, and and that was the bittersweet part of the of the nineties was like 
oh my god, everybody I know likes this band. They don't like it as much as I do. They don't have all the imports and they don't know all the B sides. And you get right, that. but that's well, and, and and your ticket into the show used to be like five bucks. Yeah, and now it's fifteen dollars. It's twenty dollars. Are you kidding me? They just put out one record. You know, people are that crazy about them. Well, I mean, I'll I'll give it a go. But then the next time you turn around and it's a $30 ticket and then a $50 ticket. Now I'm, you know, I'm not even sure how much it costs to get in to see somebody like a, like a Pearl Jam or Smashing Pumpkins these days. But if it's around the same price I've paid for tickets recently. Oh yeah. It's, <sighs> it's, I can only, I can only see one of you. Yeah. Yeah. Every two years. <laughs> it's really become more of a, I don't want to say an elitist thing, but it's become more of a, a uh, luxury versus you know yeah a regular yeah, pastime kind of a thing yeah well i think if we're going to talk about how the 80s was kind of the beginning of this and the 90s was when it really hit big i think maybe a good band to start with to kind of uh set that into motion would be depeche mode had songs of faith and devotion which came out in 93 and that was a really yeah. weird, weird album it was a great album for them but it was very strange because they were almost you could kind of see there was a little bit of influence there where they were a little more aggressive than their past few albums. Like they actually had like some hard rock riffs, which they had not really done before that I could recall. Yeah. He had like, no, a, not, not at all. It was, it was way more. Yeah. It was a way heavier record. Way I, heavier. Cause I feel you. I mean, that first single was really, that was, I mean, that was kind of like their whole mission statement. Like, you know, we're going to pull the wool over your eyes. You know, we've got Dave Gahan and a long hair and a goatee and, Martin right. Martin Gore's <laughs> headbanging as, as much as Martin Gore is ever going to headbang, <laughs> right? And, and I, I, I remember reading reading a lot about that album. I was reading a lot of magazine articles. I remember uh, Dave Gahan was pretty uh, far into heroin addiction at this point. He was really yeah. not, not in good shape, but he was really the guy. Yeah. He kind of you know he didn't write the songs at that point. He's gotten gotten more into that recently, but he really wasn't. Martin Gore wrote the songs that he sang them, but he really kind of pushed the band to go for a more kind of harder sound like he was really into James Addiction Led Zeppelin and so he even though he didn't yeah. write, write the songs he was definitely an influence on the album I think for sure absolutely was yeah yeah and you know somewhere between that and then where Alan Wilder put in his his um brilliant touches throughout that record I yeah mean, before he left his last you his, know his last work with yeah him. it was his, his last his last record and tour with them and we'd like for you to come back, Alan. Yeah. You know, call me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I need to. But I, yeah, that was. Go ahead. I said, I need to try to get a hold of that guy. Maybe I could talk to him. He might be up for an interview. Who knows? That would, that would be cool. That would be super cool. That, right. would, that would be awesome, actually. I'm going to file that. Is he doing anything? <laughs> yeah. You know, is there other recoil projects or anything that you're doing? You know, what are the Knights of Red guys, uh, Knights of Red guys up to? Huh? Come on, work with them. Do something. Yeah. I'm going I'm to file but that yeah, away. Oh, yeah. But yeah, getting back to this record uh, for Songs of Faith and Devotion. Yeah. I, you know what? I love that album all the way through. I really did. There, there wasn't any any song. Actually, but really, I feel you is the only one that I could probably move past now. Yeah. the first track. That's kind of the way. And that's it. I see that's a way for a lot of albums I listen to. Now it's like, you know, I don't know if it's because they just got played too much or they're not as yeah. spe special the deep cuts. But yeah, I feel you, to me, it's probably my least favorite song off that album at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like a lot. I like a lot of the deep cuts in your room, Rush. Um, I love Condemnation. I really do. 
Yeah, that, kinda... that was some of his best, some of Dave's best vocals to that date. It really uh, cool kind of gospel yeah, expectations. Like, where did that come from? Yeah, did not expect that from him, but good stuff. That, that, that was a great record. That had one of those songs. There are certain songs that I, you know, they don't come around very often, but there are certain songs that, that give me the chills. And, and the one from the album that gave me that was a, was a One Caress. Have I had that right? One Caress? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that song yep. I thought was absolutely amazing. It almost sounded like something out of, a, out of an Alfred Hitchcock movie, like Bernard Herrmann or something. Right. Such a great, yeah. just everything about that song was, you know, there's not one electronic. Well, that's a good point. That would, that would really fit. Because he really had that it had that very old style orchestration, and it really showed too that you know the band yeah. they didn't need they didn't need to hide behind their keyboards. They they could do whatever they wanted to, and that was a perfect example yeah. of, of Martin Gore's not just his compositions, but also his lyrics and and his vocals. Which I'm I think if you had to pick like the two best rock, I guess modern rock groups who have dual harmonies, I would have to say it's a it's a real tight race between Depeche Mode and Alice in Chains as far as from our generation. Was, Ooh, was, yeah, Allison Chains is pretty good. But the way Gahan the way Gahan and Gore's vocals work together, I think it's just so great. I never get tired yeah. of them sing together. So that's that's the one that I would start off with. What would you follow up with next? What when you think of nineteen ninety three? What's I'm 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 gonna go with the tour opener on the um Songs of Devotion Songs of Faith and Devotion tour, and that would be the the. Ah. They opened up <laughs> They opened up the show uh, up here when I saw them in in, in uh, Dallas, and uh, they did two nights at uh, I think it was still Reunion Arena at the time. And um, record that year was Dusk, and you know, mind you, it's not like that. The, the was really the household name. No, not even not even for the alternative kids uh, that that new crowd, but. You know, there were a couple songs that might have creeped on the radio from somebody doing a flashback Friday hour, you know, so they may have heard heard something like infected or, or well, really, that was probably it was infected. Yeah, <laughs> of course, now, now well, we maybe get something from Mind Bomb, you know, they might have heard, you know, Beaten Generation or, or mm-hmm. something like that. But that's, that's a good album. too. Um, yeah, that was and that was a really good album. Um I think Johnny Marr had uh, he played on the the Beaten Generation album, or I'm sorry, the Mind Bomb album, uh, but he wasn't on this record. I I, I don't think he was. I thought it, he wasn't on the tour. He wasn't on the tour. He played the album, but he didn't do the tour. That's what it was. Because the one song I remember about this album, I remember seeing that video for the Dogs of Lust. Yeah. That's, that's the one that was yeah, like Dogs of Lust. That may have been their biggest single off the album for sure. That's at least the one that I remember. It very well could have been, but I mean, it it, it was. I really like. I really did like Matt Johnson. I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't really complicated in what he was trying to say, but emotionally, he was a really complicated artist. And yes. even to this day, <laughs> you know, he was going through. It was one of the strongest outputs from from him. Because, uh, let's see, I think it took him a while to put another record out. No, well, I mean, it was a cover record. So, of all Hank Williams covers. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. It's a very odd, but very it, cool album. It, 
oh yeah, it was it, it was really cool his his take on it for sure. But then there were all these uh, you know it, little rumors kind of going around that he had this record in his pocket and another one over here on the shelf and he was going to put this one out. And, and I'm sure he has like you know a nice walk-in closet that has quite a bit of material that may never ever see the day, the light of day at all. Uh, I, I don't know if he's just that picky about it, but um, this was a good album. I, I really, I really enjoyed um, Dusk, and I was glad to see that they got on a tour <laughs> with yeah. Depeche Mode, and you know, helped them out a little bit. Um, but it, in, in all honesty, I don't think it really did because if you weren't a fan, then you weren't going to get something like "Love Is Stronger Than Death." That's a cause. that's a good song. Which is which is a great song, but what a good step on that record. Yeah, I now I remember I, I don't for people who are listening, uh, especially those who are younger. One of the magazines that you don't even isn't around anymore was Details Magazine, and Details. Oh, yeah. They had some great music interviews, I recall, and they actually interviewed, I think, Matt Johnson for this album. And I remember now he was talking about the Dogs of Lust. They said that when they recorded that that song, that they all took sleeping pills and tried to make the song oh. as 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 dry and try to play as get as messed up as they could before they passed out. And that's what the whole song is that kind of weird kind of kind of wow. uh, lusty slow kind of burn thing. I was like, that seems kind of dangerous, but that seems right. that's, that's that's rock and roll right there. There you go. Right, taking a sleeping pill. Well, I think there was, um, like the, the companion to that, uh, to Dusk, there was a, a really kind of slow version of Dogs of Lust on it that had, uh, actually it had a, a, another version of Infected called Disinfected. Ah, nice. You know, you know, back whenever people had B-sides and things like that, that's what basically solitude was was just a, a kind of compilation of b-sides mostly the imports for us here in the states but um yeah i, I thought that there was a really i mean drug well maybe not drugged out but slower version of it where it was like man ooh, sleepy <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they went for it well i i think if you're talking about kind of subdued kind of grim British rock. I wouldn't, I don't think I'm out of step with saying that cranes had a great album that year forever. And cranes, another band kind of like the, the who never really got big, but they yeah. have a devoted following yeah. and cranes are really, and there's an, you know, you talk about how the, the, the opened up for Depeche mode. Well, the cranes opened up for the cure on the wish tour, if I recall. Yeah. And yep. they were so weird because they had this, you know, cavernous sound but the woman the singer uh, Allison Shaw please her name is she sounds like a little mm-hmm. child like lost in a well she's the eeriest scariest like talky Tina from Twilight Zone kind of voice it's so it's like disquieting but also very beautiful but I mean nobody else sounds like her at all it sounds like no. you know almost like almost like her vocals sound like they're like pitch shifted but that's really how she sings yeah <laughs> and I really yeah. I like I like that album a lot. I thought they're a really cool sound and you know, they didn't, they stuck out like a sore thumb because that was really at that time, really, I mean, bands like Depeche Mode and, and stuff like that were, they were at the top of the heap, but all the bands underneath them, the post-punk stuff was kind of going out of fashion because grunge yeah. had, had, had really hit and stuff like that. So cranes were really more of an older style when they started off. They were very much more of an eighties band in sound than they were, you know, the nineties, but that's what made them so different and unique and, and really cool. 
in, in my opinion. Yeah, if they had hit like two or three years earlier, they they may have had a a, a lot bigger of a following for sure. Because I think they they really kind of went back to that sort of very late eighties, you know, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine sound. Totally. And if anybody out there is, is curious, if there's any if there's any goths out there who do not know Cranes, go uh, on YouTube and and look up Jewel, and you'll know why they're so great. And you'll right. be instant, oh, yeah. instant fan. I I'm going to I'm going to throw that out there. So where should we head next? We can take a uh, take a little stroll up the shoegaze lane a little bit more towards Verve. Yeah, let's do Verve. And Storm in Heaven, since you just come right off of Cranes. Um, this, this is a funny record for me because it was a band that the record labels were, were so, I mean, they were just, they were sending so many promos out on this band and put up your displays and, and things like that. They were really trying with this band. And then finally they just stopped. Because they, I, I don't think that they were getting anywhere. And I had, I must have had like four or five copies of the album, kept one for myself, listened to it once. And like a lot of shoegaze or, you know, I guess psych rock like that uh, at the time, it didn't hit me on the first listen. I'd, I'd listen to it and go, oh, well, that's cool. And then I'd file it away. And then whenever I'm looking back and, you know, at my, <laughs> what I need to weed out, and I'd go, okay, so why did I have that record there? And I'd listen to it again, and it would just finally hit. And it'd be like six months to almost a year later. And this was one of those albums that, where it did not launch right on me at first. It's so, it's so subtle, you know? Yeah, that's it's just a subtle record that has all those shoegaze. I mean, musically, it's it it fits right in there. But then there's Richard Ashcroft's um, Madman vocal. Yeah, that that it 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 fits, but it didn't fit. Mm-hmm. Because there's too there's too much soul going on there, man. We need. We need you to be a little bit more, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and he have was. You, have you ever heard of Elizabeth Frazier? Do that. <laughs> and he's and he's doing Mick Jagger instead, basically. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what he's doing. And so it took me a little while to to catch on this record, but um, already there, which I I don't think it was like a a, a big, I don't think any single off of this was huge. <laughs> no, but um, that's that's my song off this album. That's a great song. It's funny you mentioned that because I didn't. I heard about it's one of those bands I read about but didn't listen to, and then I think right. was it like two years later that that movie The Doom Generation came out. I think right, and that soundtrack for yeah. that was amazing, and that's how I discovered the Verb because already there was on that I was on that album, and I was like, oh my oh, god, yeah. these these guys are great, and it was so. Huge sounding, and you know, I think I think Nick McCabe is one of the most underrated guitarists uh, from that era. Oh, the yeah. guy, the guy is amazing. And yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, just 
it's it's so funny some of those guitars because they were they're they're so reclusive now. Mm-hmm. And he was reclusive back and, and, then, I think. <laughs> he was kinda... Yeah. Well, I mean, they were reclusive back then, still are today, and yet they were they they did some of the the best. They put out some of the best records, at least in, in the British charts, because they were all British. It seemed, you know, Americans still want to, you know, flash <laughs> a little bit of flash somewhere, you know. Well, they don't want to go hide away, but oh well. Yeah, the Verve were a weird band because they really had a. It's like they had all this, all the right ingredients, and they went on to great success, but they couldn't keep it together. It's like they broke up three times. Yeah. They broke yeah, up. <laughs> Storm in Heaven, they broke That's up. one tour. <laughs> yeah. And then Urban, the Urban Hymns tour, which I actually saw you. I forgot about that. I saw you at the at, yeah. at the Houston show, which was a fantastic yeah. show. But Nick McCabe. What was that venue? That was a Bayou Palace, I think. Bayou Place. Bayou Palace. Okay. A okay. really good venue. But I remember, yep. I remember that show. I was pissed off because it was supposed to be Massive Attack and the Verb. Massive Attack pulled out, which I was upset yep. about. And then I showed up, and Nick McCabe wasn't even in the band; he wasn't even playing right. that night. And 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 they didn't they didn't last too much longer after that show. Of course, they came back. I guess they reformed what about eight years or so ago, and then they broke up again. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll come back yeah, again they, sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm I'm not even sure what what Ashcroft is up to these days, but yeah, he's had some troubles, I think. Yeah, but, he's had his own he's had his own issues. I mean, he's just. He's no um, uh, Gallagher brother, but no. You know, yeah, they. I guess he's a Gallagher brother to himself. I I, I don't know. He's a, he's a hard cookie. He is, and I, I maybe the fourth time we the charm. Well, I guess we'll have to we'll have to we'll see <laughs> have, have to see. But if we're gonna talk about shoegaze. I think uh, another British band who had a really great album that year was Slow Dive. With Subwaki. Oh yeah, Subwaki was, was great. Oh my god, what a! That's another band too. I didn't discover till after they broke up. I discovered these guys till the late '90s, but when I did, I was like, oh my god, that so such a great sound. Those guitars, mm-hmm. and then Brian Eno playing some tracks in that album. It was, I guess, it was their sophomore album, and I liked their first album just like a day a whole lot. But this new one, you could really see they're yeah. kind of growing and trying some different things. It wasn't just. I always thought the slow dive was a little bit different from a lot of shoegaze bands that I really felt like they weren't as pronounced in being too distorted or too, um, where guitars don't sound like guitars. You could tell that they were guitars, but it was, it was almost, they are almost kind of, was like an amplified version of the cure. They had that same kind of sound, but they really just processed it. Yeah. But just really, but they also could dial it back. They also sound like dagger, which, you know, is very subdued, but it's, just a right. go- gorgeous song and great Rachel Goswell his vocals and Neil Halstead's vocals. I'm so glad the guys are back together because their last album was so good too. I just think those See, guys, I never, I never, I never listened to that last album. I'm way behind. Oh I, but, I, yeah. I'll, I'll send you a copy Single, of it. The, the, the couple, couple of songs that I, that I heard were awesome. It's fantastic. Really nice to see them back together. Really, really is. And that's another band I think that kind of come back for Victory Lap because they weren't really nobody knew who they were at the time either. They were they were even less known than the Verve. They didn't really go right, they were, and they were really the music press, British press, who were, can always be dicks to people weren't weren't very kind to them for whatever reason. I don't know why. Right, but they weren't. Yeah, they weren't very. This press was brutal for sure. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> brutal. Make or break you. 
Oh, I think and I, I think they're bigger now than they were ever oh, back yeah. then. Oh yeah, and if you look at like their face, Facebook page, all the followers they have, like they wouldn't have had half those followers back. I mean, it shows you no. that the whole absence makes the heart grow fonder really is true for musicians for sure because yeah. it gives you time to get a fan base and a bunch of, I think probably their fan base now is just as many kids as it is people our age, probably more so. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of music it's kind of come back in fashion for like, you know, the indie set, you know, I think yeah. it is. Yeah. But I'm gonna throw it back to you in a second, but I just, I think maybe it's a segue talking about the British stuff and, and shoegaze, which didn't really quite sure. take it over here. Another band that was big in the music press all over them that year was Suede with their debut album. Their self-titled oh, yeah. debut album. And Suede kind of drive me crazy because you talk about like Oasis and Blur and Pulp and all those bands. We all deserve their success, but Suede are really the first bands to even be called Britpop, and they didn't really, they didn't really sustain their success. I don't think. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't for lack of talent. But I thought that the debut album was one of those albums that really, when you first hear it, I was like, "What?" I, I don't know. For some reason, when I first heard them, I did not care for them. His vocals were too, were too tinny. It was too much. But then, yeah. Another one of those bands, though, that once it's like if I give it time and I let it sink in, I really started to appreciate them more. And I like stuff like uh, The Next Life was a great song or uh, The Drowners. Yeah. Just yep. re- and that's another band, too, where you've got an amazing guitar player with Bernard Butler, who was just <laughs> Bernard Butler. Yeah. His his riffs were crazy. I mean, that, the stuff he did was so almost kind of like maybe a little old, old Bowie. And then the mixture like that with some Smith stuff, perhaps, but they had a really unique sound. Yeah, and very. I just think of I think of Sway. I think of like hormones. You know, it was all very androgynous and, <laughs> and, and androgynous and oh yeah, and all about. And, okay. Yeah, certainly a band that was was completely influenced from from the glam era, from the Roxy and Bowie and and the T Rex. And and it was that's there was no there was no shame to it, and just like you said about um, the vocals, Brett's vocals, uh, yeah, I, I was like trying to really kind of figure it out, and was it was not connecting with me for a long time, um, but finally, I, I, I guess it was um, whenever I heard Next Life that really. Really, or Panamine Horse. Oh yeah, that was a great song. um, It it was it was a they're both slow songs, needless to say, but um, he's not he's not reaching all over the place like he would be for you know she's not dead or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's yeah, it it, it's one of those you, you you have you really end up easing yourself into it. Because I guarantee you, if you make it past the, the self-titled Dogman Star, will reward you with oh all the greatness. That's it that's, will just reward you. <laughs> that was like one of the best sophomore albums ever. That was just like such Absolutely. a such a such a uh, next level jump. I mean, it was just like they just you know, mm. I mean, the full orchestras and I mean, there was just like ambitious as hell but they pulled it off and i know that they didn't pull it off necessarily with album sales or press or all that but for their fans you know that's when i became more of a fan during that than i did for their first album where yeah. i was kind of i kind of worked my way back like i've done with most of the bands we've talked about tonight i've kind of started off later and worked my way back and, and got into them 
but I thought Suede should get more of a get more credit for what they did at the Britpop. And they're still they're they're still going strong. Their 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 reunion albums have all been really good. Their new song came out like about two months ago or a month ago. Sounds great. There's yeah, uh, so yep, st- I did hear that. So they're they're still still doing it, and I I wish they would come play here. I've only saw them once. Come I saw them on, the <laughs> I saw them on the Dogman Star tour. There's a little club in St. Louis, this dumpy little club, and they were great. But oh, wow. So I was lucky that they even the theme came that far. But I think the only time we'll see them here now is if it's some big festival where they're going to be on those little third font yeah. on one of those posters that you see when you look at the right the big font, the second font, the third <laughs> font, and they're, they're a third font band. But in my in my heart, they're a they're a large font band. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, you know that they could pull pull off a a, a large font over there for sure. Absolutely. So, I mean. We should at least try to get them second font. <laughs> they deserve that at least for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. I just. I want to get to this. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I know you picked it, and I think it's one of their coolest albums. So I want to hear what you've got to say about Zeropa. So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are about that album. Zeropa. I love Zeropa. This is, of course, the era whenever. YouTube fans started to jump off the ship. <laughs> they were going, they were starting to drift further out into the realms of, of technology and capitalism. And, you know, you wanted, you wanted your big pop stars and you got your big pop stars. Are you coming along for the ride or are you not? <laughs> and they were making, you know, initially from what I recall, it was originally supposed to be an EP that just somehow snowballed um, somewhere in between all their Zoo TV, outside Zoo TV tour um, shows uh, where they, they got together and they put songs together and then they'd go back and do, you know, three weeks of shows and then they take a couple weeks off. And it, that, that was, from what I can remember, that's how this album actually started. And it just started to, get even bigger and bigger and bigger and i love i love how this is the era where um they started to push themselves i uh, i still i still like a lot lyrically going on uh with with the songs that they were writing but as far as musically that's that's the part that that really that I love the most well, just that, because of the technologies that were being used. And I, it's, a, it's a lovely album. I love it. Flood, Flood produced that, right? Didn't he? Did Flood produce that? Flood, Flood was one of the producers. I think Eno was a producer on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Lanois was part of it, but, um, but yeah, Flood was, uh, I think Flood was the main your your main um guy behind the board see he had a banner year that year because he also did phase and devotion but i i think what i like about pop it's it's i love the sounds on there are so cool i love the guitar tone like on dirty day yeah or the uh or the how yeah. they pulled off that thing with johnny cash on on the wanderer just the those wanderer. yeah i just i love it all and i i know it wasn't one of their biggest albums for you know I, no. I, but to me it's, i like it just as much i think 
maybe not quite as much as Octane Baby, but it's pretty close. It's a pretty close race for me for those two. I think they're they, they're very much of a pair, you know. They certainly are are, are companions, you know. I, I it's it's peanut butter and jelly. It's a washer and dryer. It's you know, it has to go together. In 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 my in my catalog for sure because I I almost think that it's. What what could have been a double album that just happened to be called two you know split up into two different albums. Um, I will say one of my favorite songs on here is "Stay Far Away So Close." Oh, it's such a great song. I mean that's that that's that's classic U two that should well maybe not classic U two, but it's it's closer to what fans should have been able to to hold on to but then of course they ruined it with daddy's going to pay for your fresh car and that probably confused everybody <laughs> i yeah for me when i think about i loved it <laughs> I, I did too when i think about zero but the main thing that i think comes across to me is just i think that was probably the edge's most diverse album he, he's doing the most unique thing song to song um yes. guitar because he's always been experimental of course but there's always been kind of all of it's all been fairly uniform, but I thought for Zerobo, uh, almost every song was like, let's try this, let's try that. It was very kind of mad scientist uh, guitar stuff going on there. Yeah. It was really, yeah. really cool sounds. What happens whenever I flip this switch? And, yeah. And he, he, will just, he will free fall through that tunnel and find that sound. It, it, it's no wonder he gets stuck on... Um, getting a YouTube record out because he's probably just over there pushing buttons trying to figure out <laughs> nah, I, I need something I need something different here trying to try to get that get that uh yeah that, that perfect combination but I, I think right you, exactly <laughs> and I, I don't think you get to a uh to a pop without going through Zeropa first it was like this very interesting three chamber progression from that yeah. band but yeah. I thought I think Zeropa was to me very accessible and I remember being confused. I thought when it came out, it was like an EP. I wasn't even prepared. I thought it was like a four song thing. And I was very surprised it was a full album because it came out fairly soon after, uh, Octum Baby. Yeah. So that was, it was almost, it was almost just a little over a year. So that was, that was an interesting, that they could pack so much in when they've been so busy on the road and everything else. Right. But it shows why those guys are, they just, they don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> no, they just don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think when you're when you're talking about a band like U2, I mean, to me, when I think about U2, I'm thinking about huge choruses, very emotional, very uh, interesting sounds. And I think a band, even though I don't think they would ever compare themselves or call themselves close to that, but I think Radiohead's first album to me kind of drew on some of, of the, the big sound that you two had for Pablo honey. And, Certainly. And Pablo honey to me, that is an album that I hate when I see like Radiohead album rankings or articles on Pablo. Oh, you know, it's Pablo honey's shit, but the rest of them were all good. They got better after Pablo honey. I'm like, no, no, you're wrong. Pablo <laughs> honey. It's a perfectly fine album. I like Pablo honey very much. And y'all can kiss my ass. I think Pablo honey is great. <laughs> And and I and, and I'm gonna go to bat for it every time I can. I thought Pablo Honey to me, there's not one song in there that is not catchy, that is not interesting. And I um, how do you feel about Ready Head? How do you feel about Pablo Honey raking into disc discography? Do you think it's it's 
a lesser work or do you think that it's just more unpolished or what what's what's your your thought on it i'm just trying my to see take on my take on pablo honey is that is it, it is an absolutely fine record now is it make it any less i don't think it does honestly it is just a record in a different different part of their career you know uh i don't think it's there there have been so many twists and turns mm-hmm. with this band that to be able to rank everything from worst to first in in whatever kind of way i i think it's kind of unfair it's unfair to them because you know, Moonshape Pool was completely different from In Rainbows, and that was just two records before that. Yeah. Of course, it took 10 years for that to happen, practically. But, you know, In Rainbows is certainly a lot different from Kid A, which was certainly different from OK Computer, which was pretty different from the Bins last I heard. So, <laughs> yeah, I, it, I don't it, think it's fair. I think Pablo Honey absolutely fits. I, I you know, it, it may be may not be the first album that I reach for in their catalog, but I'm certainly not going to turn anything off whenever it comes up on a shuffle. I will one, not. Just one of the bands that to, to me that it's kind of it's any band that's album has got like one big single, you know, kind of dwarfs everything else. And Creep, I mean, Creep, I still think is a phenomenal song. I think that. Oh yeah. For all the the emotional things it takes you through, I mean, I mean, if anybody who's felt alienated or as an adolescent or felt like oh nobody understands me, I mean that that's like your song, you know. I mean that song is just oh, like, yeah, it's just perfect. I mean, not just his vocals and lyrics, but that you know the guitar stuff, that weird thing that Johnny Greenwood does, yeah. that is just, that's just so cool, you know. That I mean, I still don't understand how he does that. I don't, I don't, I don't either. I don't know how he did it, but it just sounds so awesome. But that's just, that's just a part of the album because you've got songs like Blowout, which is so weird and kind of eerie, or uh, the Every One Can Play Guitar, which is very much a kind of, kind of an over the top anthem and stuff like that. So they got a lot of different things going on there that I thought, you know, there's not one song in there that isn't to me very catchy. Um, right, and Lurgy. I mean, Lurgy. you, yeah, yeah. L- Lurgy's that, that's another good. It's got that. They have that sound that I I love when it's like, it's like a combination of like melancholy or, or like just kind of sadness, but there's like this light at the end of the tunnel kind of a thing. It's like this very bittersweet sound that I think they do so so well. That I. I always yeah. appreciate about Radiohead, and you just kind of seeing them. You know, obviously they would go on to be more ambitious, and the Bends was a huge leap up. And of course, we can go on and on about, like you mentioned, how other albums were. But I thought it's a perfectly good, oh yeah, debut album. I think that it's a perfectly fine record. Everybody, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It, uh, don't get it. It's okay. But if you're some person out there who just has been told that Pablo Honey sucks, and he only started with say, I don't know. Okay, Peter, a kid, a just go back and give it a listen and just try to okay. enjoy it for what it is because it's got it's got some really good songs on it. It's very catchy. Oh yeah, Tom York's voice sounds great. The guitars are awesome, and it's just got that little '90s alt rock uh, atmosphere to it that you didn't really ever hear again on the other stuff. So that's that's my uh, fight for agreed for uh, 
preserving Pablo Honey. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. It's a contender. I love it. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll let go of that now. And, and where should we go next? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should go with other divisiveness and, and uh, something like in Euro from Nirvana. But, yeah. I mean, in Euro, that's maybe the biggest album of the year, right? It was probably the biggest album of the year. The most, probably the most, one of the, it's probably the most anticipated, maybe 1B, maybe 1A, compared to Pearl Jam's verses that year. Yeah. Um, but it, it, that was a, that was a record that, that probably drew the line for some, some of the, the uh, people who were newly initiated to, the sounds of the underground via something like Nirvana's Nevermind because it's not all polished and it's not all big budget stuff. Or maybe it is a big budget, but you don't use all of that <laughs> on your record. <laughs> yeah, because that was... Because, that's, go that, ahead. That's that's when I realized that, that Nevermind was produced. I... I guess when I first heard Nevermind, it sounded so kind of raw and 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 rough and and, and untethered. But then I really have gone back and kind of appreciate what what Butch Big did, which is very subtly build up some really interesting sonic layers to it and oh and yeah, and produce his vo vocals a certain way. Um, you know, I, I watched a special where he talked about how he recorded Kurt's vocals in stereo to get that really cool sound of the album, and then yep. for for uh, in Udro, Steve Albini just said nope, and it was it was. It was jarring to me when I first heard Heart Shaped Box. I was like, wow, this is so different from what 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 came before. It's funny because I you know, Butch I believe Butch Vig actually did well he was a he was a he was hot property uh in, in this era too. He was doing a lot of the big albums for the big brandly, you know, brand new branded alternative scene. You know, he was doing that all over the place. I'm sure we're going to touch on him a little bit later. Oh, yeah. Um, but, and, and he, he he was paid to do one thing, make a big record, and he did it. And he did it every single time. Steve Albini is the, the guy that has his little storefront. That's actually not his storefront. It's his basement. And you used to pay him just a couple of, you know, a couple of cases of beer to record you, but he only had like 20 minutes. So one take, that's all you get and go. But, you know, that's, that was Steve Albini. And he, he had certainly a reputation of bringing out what that band needed to, to really punctuate in their songs. And he was just no bones about it. My favorite, my favorite thing that I re remember from uh, reading, whenever the record was sent to the record label, uh, DGC, <laughs> one of the guys came back and said, "The grown-ups don't like it." <laughs> 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 Which I thought was perfect because I can just imagine this. You know, this whole room of like old white haired guys who are, you know, not getting it. 
but then the, there's the slightly slightly younger. He's maybe got a little bit of gray in his hair, so he's kind of in touch, but not really. He just maybe he's just trying to be cool, but he knows enough, and he can work with that record where that other guy can't. And this album was, it was, it was. I'm sure it was torturous in its own way. Um, really hard for them to kind of kind of make it through, considering where was Cobain at this point. I I'm, I don't even know. You know, he, I think he was actually on on the up and up at that point, starting to get clean again. But <laughs> you know, I I think it's a great album. Um, I don't see it any less. Then never mind. Matter of fact, I'll probably see it a little bit better than that. Some cases. Yeah, that's one of those ones that took but, me a while, while to kind of come back around on. But I think if you listen to it now, to me, that's really the one where you can really hear that you know something's not something's really not right with this guy. I mean, you could really right. You could. <laughs> I mean, you could hear that in all the earlier stuff, of course, for sure. But this, I really thought that this album, in particular, had a real. You know, you can kind of see that the facade was kind of fading away and, and he was really battling some severely dark stuff. And I think, right. you know, I mean, you know, Penny Royalty is one example. And of course, Rate Me is probably the best example. And it's such a, right. it was almost like very similar in guitar uh, style riffing to uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, but a totally different, you know, it was a, it was way more, right. way more upfront, way more, I think that was on purpose. I, I don't know for sure, but to me, it felt like it was on purpose because, you know, here they had a song called "Rape Me," which I think somebody had to change on their. Forgot what they what they ended up calling it, because they didn't want the you know the, they didn't want the name "rape" in in a song, and you know Walmart had the power to do that. Yeah, it's like, or tape me. I, I, don't, I don't know. Tape me or something. Yeah, I mean, it was it was just like oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because it, it was it was I even think, sh- shocking to hear it on the radio. Where you're like, wow, they really went. Yeah, you know. whoa, you guys really? <laughs> I mean, for, not, for 1993, that was even in that era, it was still shocking hearing a song called "Rape Me" on the radio. It was, and you know, it was very much oh, yeah. by, by design. I'm sure he knew what he was doing. Oh yeah, he did. And I, I really think whenever you start to, uh, whenever you move up to their MTV Unplugged and you hit some of the songs that were like Penny Royalty. On on the uh, the MTV Unplugged, I mm-hmm. really think that you get, I mean, you you're able to, or they dissect the song and they really expose what is going on. I mean, what what must have been chaotic for him? Um, I I can only imagine he's somewhere teetering between trying to stay sober and losing control, and and being the most popular uh, rock star you, on the planet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then I, I think for me, Pinner Royalty on M- MTV's Unplugged, really, if you're not able to appreciate the in Euro version, at least it, at least take that home with you. Because I, I think that that really is, I think it's a standout. Definitely. And I mean, it kind of was, I guess it was really the last big album from from grunge i mean pearl jams kept putting out stuff out james put out some stuff but i think i think in Euro it was almost kind of like a closing statement as far as like um well i guess it's not really true because he had super unknown 
but really it, it just felt like the even back then it felt like the when you know it was kind of like a line in the sand that you know nirvana where could they have gone if they had still if he hadn't killed himself you know where could they have gone is kind of the question people will always wonder what the next album would have been like we're never going to know but i mean they certainly left us with something that's haunting and and still very potent yeah the the, the what ifs are certainly i mean <laughs> there's a lot of what ifs that that you know where would he be you know where would music be at this point yeah i mean have, having him around as a crotchety elder statesman i think would have been nice i would like to hear his it, it would maybe help me feel less stressed out about things these days i would like to have heard his perspective and it sucks that we can't get that yeah because yep. you know when we lost him i mean people say oh i knew where he was and oh that sounds you know exaggerated but it was a it was a big deal i mean it was a huge it was a really big deal yeah it really was i mean seattle has been just kind of like a series of tragedies in that way i mean i still can't believe chris cornell's gone i still can't believe wayne staley's right. gone all these people you know it's something about that town just i don't know it just that yeah. scene, scene was just a dark dark scene but he was you know he made it down over the industry it's one of the two yeah for <laughs> sure but you know if you talk about like how dark that was and kind of unforgiving and raw and, and, and abrasive and, and very much uh, kind of unfiltered. I think a good companion album for that, for me, that year would be Afghan Wigs and Gentlemen, which I thought oh, was, that was a good album. Was a fantastic album. I wasn't really that big of a fan of theirs before that, but Gentlemen really hooked me. It just had to, that, that weird mix of like 70s soul, but some grunge in there, some alternative rock, some indie rock in there. Uh, Greg Dully far from a great vocalist he can be very out of tune sometimes but it, it all worked oh, yeah. it, it all worked but i don't know i think about i'm like that which is very sexual very um every song is about a relationship gone bad some drugs are in yeah. good measure but i don't know if he can make it out like that today and not get just torn a new one from you know from people saying it was sexist or misogynist or i really think that i yeah. think greg, greg dill i mean he can do whatever he wants now because he's you know he's He's got his cred, and he's not, you know, he's a cult figure. They were a huge band, but I don't know if he can make it out like that these days and not just get shit thrown at you because it was, you know, a very unflinching and not very flattering look at relationships and just being kind of a, a dick. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the you know the, the title track is 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 ir- <laughs> ir- irony at its finest. You know, it's basically about yeah. you know a, a guy, you know, basically using a woman and going through her and on to the next one, basically, you know, just, uh, and the whole album is, is about that. But really, I think, I, I don't know if he's ever mentioned this, but it really, you can tell even the lyrics, which are great lyrics, but it's, you know, he's not, he's not proud of it. It's, I think it's very much a, a, a the opposite of what you might hear from like some hair metal band where it was, he was really examining yeah. the, the dark side of, of, of debauchery and broken relationships. I, yeah. I think that's exactly where this album is, is is kind of lodged in. It's it's the the joys and you know mo- mostly regret from just being a jerk. <laughs> and you know, I, and I know that two of his favorite bands I've read are, are are the Cure and the Church, and you really can hear the Cure in this album. I think is a very is a very gothic, oh, yeah. gothic underpinning too. Like you would never call them a goth band, but they definitely have some atmosphere nope. that that you know, feels 
cut like that. A lot of that, I guess, is from Rick McCulloch, who's a very interesting guitar player. He has this really weird mix of like these soul licks, but also the kind of heavy atmospheric chords and and open yeah. strings. So they're just a really, really cool band. And that's the band that never got very big. I think probably one, it's because Dully's voice is just a little bit limited. And two, yeah. they they just were like a college band, you know, and that's and that was fine. That's not, you know, they were. And, and they've still got a very lo- loyal following, deservedly so. Certainly but, just the club band. Did you ever catch them? I did. I saw them at Liberty Lunch, actually, just a few months before they closed Liberty right. Lunch down. And they were, it was for their final, for that third album, 1969 or 60, I think 69. Uh, yeah, 69. Yeah, and I don't even remember who, uh, if it might open for them or not. 65. 65. Yeah, 65. 1965. Yeah, which was definitely was not nearly as good album as gentleman was it was it was okay mm-hmm. but, or, or black love which is a, a really awesome album too i think black love was yeah, a, real, that was a really good album. real close second with this one but yeah they sounded great i mean that was actually that was actually the the, the show I don't know if you remember he got he got in a fight with a bouncer after and he got landed oh. in, with a concussion and, he, and they thought he was gonna die he's, the show. yeah he's hospital for a week so i'm thinking oh it's a great show they're awesome i show up the next day at work man did you know that guy got knocked in the head i was like what so oh, jeez. Yeah, wow. so, yeah, so he almost, he didn't make it. Almost didn't make it. Wow. wow. That was crazy. I remember that, that, that show still holds um, a lot of legend to it. <laughs> yeah, and they were so good. I mean, they were just, yeah. they, had, they had like backup singers, and it just had this whole old school vibe. I thought they were great. And yeah, Gentlemen. Yeah. Gentlemen, really, really good album. I don't think there's one bad song on there. I can't think of one song there that I don't care for. Nope, I can't either. Fountain and Fairfax, Debonair, um, even that one song. I don't remember. Oh, Debonair, yeah, Debonair, so good. What Jill is like. Yeah, oh yeah, what Jill, and then the closing track, Brother Woodrow. And there's one song, Uh I I forget who the singer was. They had a a female vocalist on one song, which is this really weird, almost kind of like a ragtime kind of bow, which is really weird. It's very kind of dark, and, but yeah, it's all awesome. That's just a really good, really good band. Oh, yeah. Gentlemen, couldn't be made today, but you should still enjoy it and go back and check yep. it out. <laughs> so, what should? Well, maybe you should talk about morphine. That's kind of a a good segue, I think. Morphine, kind of. Oh yeah, it because that that kind of feeds right from the the soul of of the uh, Afghan wigs into the jazzy parts of morphine. Yeah. Not that, you know, because I, I, and this, you know, I ran across morphine just on, I don't know, some Ryko disc compilation or something like that. And, uh, it really caught my, caught my ear because it was three things. It was drums, it was bass, and it was saxophone. And I, I thought, uh, it's, it's like 19, it's 93 right now. What, who's guitar, doing this? Yeah, guitars are everything. I mean, it, there was there was no guitar. It was just bass guitar, saxophone, and drums. And that was it. And and so it really, it really caught me off guard. Um, I'm not even sure what that song was. It was probably off that first, the first album, but Cure for Pain was probably coming out or, or, something later on that year anyway um it actually got released and i kind of missed it and 
then finally I realized after a couple months it had been out that it was out and uh, picked it up. And I got to tell you, it was one of the coolest records that I just, I mean, it's just, a, it, it's, and it's just such a cool record. Nobody sounds like those guys. Guitar. I mean, nobody was going to sound like that <clears throat> in 1993. And it's not like it was going to show up on anybody's uh, radio or radar, you know, highly. It was going to be one of those records that if you're in a record store and you have somebody that's actually playing it, that's probably where you're going to hear it. And that was probably it. And if you heard the song Thursday, you were finding out who that was and buying that record right then. Because yep. that song it will it will get you every single time. <clears throat> and that's love that song. I think what makes Morphine very unique for a lot of us. I mean, because if you're we grew up in the '80s, where almost every song that you listen to had some saxophone tech on the end of it. You know, you'd be some rock song, and then you know, come at a right. little little right. sax. But for Morphine, it wasn't window dressing like so many '80s songs were. No. It, it was integral. It was playing, yeah, it was like it was like the lead guitar parts. Absolutely, you know? and Mark Salmon's vocals were so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, his his name. I guess I'm sure his name was not his real name, but it was perfectly suited for his vocals, which are very soothing and and uh, yeah. dark. But but you know, it was just a very kind of. Uh, smooth you know almost like a glass yeah, of whis- it was, whiskey it's just real smooth and yeah kind of granulated that's a good way to put it a, a a good a good glass of whiskey right there and that's another guy we lost too soon i mean he, and i don't you know yeah. how, he, how he passed away i don't think it i don't think it was for anything like sinister heart attack. yeah something like, like yeah a heart attack on stage yeah it's crazy he was super and, young uh, uh, yeah yeah he was a, a it was mid forties, I think, at that point. Mid forties, so you know. But yeah, yeah, gone, gone way before. I never even got to see him, and not, not that I'm, you know. I mean, I'm upset that I never did get to see him, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I'll have a little respect for him. Dying on stage, at least. <laughs> yeah, know? I'm putting it all out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Morphine or two are one of those bands that that you know they they didn't sound like they were from the '90s, but they probably could only could have existed in the '90s when there was such a room for the weird and and unconventional to to have a chance to have a shot at getting on the radio. You know, any certainly anything could have happened. So they really, yeah, it's just a really good album. That's all I can really add to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and I also think if we're going to talk about uh, kind of unconventional stuff, I think, I mean, the '90s were were full of, uh, you know, I guess rap rock was kind of coming into fashion. You had certain like albums coming out that were kind of heavy, uh, you know, that were blending those kind of things. But Judgment Night soundtrack was definitely one that kind of took that whole thing <laughs> and and took it to a whole new a whole new level. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> I, I didn't you. even see the movie. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I, 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 I did see it, and I can assure you, you're not missing on anything at all whatsoever. There was nothing, 
nothing, nothing. You missed nothing. Everything that was about maybe that was worth anything was all in that soundtrack. I was gonna say, soundtrack was outstanding though. And it was really a case of like you know, you put your chocolate in my peanut butter kind of a thing where they just kind of randomly collided. They're two different artists that you would not think would work well together. And I love stuff like that. There'll be bands I don't even like that I'll hear, and I may get appreciation yeah. for them. Um, right. Because I mean, started off you had. Uh, uh, Cypress Hill and Sonic Youth, right? <laughs> Which you, didn't sound right on, or didn't look right on paper. Yeah. And then you had, it, yeah. And then you had a uh, Living Color and Run DMC. Yeah. You, Faith No More and Booyah Tribe, which was a good rocking one. Then you had, uh, I think one of the best was Biohazard and Onyx, which was like a total like. Just heavy, right? Kind of grindcore uh, guitars, and and that was awesome. And uh, then he had the really weird stuff like Teenage Fan Club and uh, and De La Soul. I just they had Soul <laughs> or, or, or Mud Honey and Sir Mix a Lot. I mean, they kind of had a little bit of everything in there. And it was just a really yeah. good, a really good party record, really good driving record. It just was kind of a you know it, it after that whole scene it kind of went downhill with 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 guitars and hip-hop you know you kind of went to a bunch of uh, yeah the new metal stuff and all that but this was a kind of a very pure uh hybrid that worked really well together and i've always have appreciated it and it's just a, even still i mean it's a really fun album i mean i put it on i can just crank it up and even helmet and house of pain house of pain oh, which, yeah. that's a really great really great track so you like your hip hop and you like your heavy guitars. Judgment Night is way better than the lot of stuff that came after that. That's for sure. Well, and I will say the marriage made in hell of Slayer and Ice T could not yes. have been more perfect. That was that that, that that may have been that may have been the most like, oh, why didn't we think of that before? <laughs> you know? Yeah, because because everything I, else seems sort of like i mean it worked and on a lot better than i thought it would but that one was i mean it was it was certainly uh it it fit they were they were they were the lego pieces that held the rest of this thing together if you ask me and everything else just worked and Ice Ice T has totally proven his his metal bona fides over the years. He he does he is a really good. Oh man. yeah, I mean you know there's a lot of hip hop and metal collisions in the '90s, but I think he did. He you could tell he really liked it. You know what I mean? You could tell he was into it. I yeah. heard the, I actually he listened was into it. I heard the last Body Count a couple of songs off the new album on, on like Liquid Metal on Sirius, and it was actually really good. I was like, so like, much better. yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean he's still doing it, and it it was it was awesome. Like he's still he's still hitting it. But judgment He's not Night, giving up. No, and judgment night's just a really good, a really good mix of stuff. So, I, I dug it. I still dig it, and uh, I still, if I had to pick, I think with you, you said it was Slayer and I see for me it was probably the Booyah Tribe Faith and more Mike Patton just was his combination with those background shrieks and all that. It's just so perfect. It just really fits. It's a so oddball, you know. But but I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Booyah was was like that, that off the path rap slash hip hop group at the, at the time. 
so yeah, that 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 does that does make a lot of sense too. Now it does. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Huh. A couple, you know, after, after listening to, oh yeah, I get that. I get that. They should do. They should do like a reunion album, and I'll try to do something again. It would be kind of cool. But it oh happen. yeah, that would be pretty cool. It won't happen. <laughs> it won't. It won't happen. But it'd be cool if it did. Maybe we should keep along the uh, path of metal and get right into Sepultura's Chaos AD. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Which is a really good record, and actually a pretty different record from what they were doing in the past you know of course the roots no pun intended for where you know what they were doing their first couple of albums or even even the last album that they had put out before then arise or beneath the remains um but chaos ad it was really really kind of a groove album for them i mean there was a lot it seemed to have a lot more of that sort of I kind of hesitate to say it, but a lot more of that industrial feel, and not so much because of the tweaks and and the the loops that you might get in in industrial, but the way that the songs were constructed, especially with the the guitar riffage, I guess you might say. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it it really has this. They're they're moving to a different different beat at this point and they're exploring different options and they, you know, they had just done three three records that were all thrash albums and you know great stuff love love those records but they were starting to move forward a little bit and it's a, it, it's a small step and it's kind of subtle but it worked for them completely on this they were able to work with uh, Jello Biafra for uh, Biotech is Godzilla, but, <laughs> um, which, which is, I mean, it's, it's a short song, just like Jello would probably want. Um, but Refuse Resist coming right off, off the, the front of the album. Territory, gosh, man, shredding, <laughs> shredding. I mean- I mean, maybe, maybe, so. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a huge Sepultura fan. I don't know a whole lot about their stuff, but I mean, I think there's definitely, they're definitely going more groove on this one. And I think you can maybe hear some like Pantera prong kind of influences on that stuff. They were kind of doing that yeah. s- same kind of, it was thrashy, but they, you know, and they really, they would go on further if they have the roots and they would basically be one of the big, biggest influences of, of new metal right there. They were huge on that because they really had that perfect right. lo- lockstep, but it was cool. You know, they had a lockstep of that, this tight, tight groove. But like some swing to it, and yeah, the guitars are right. awesome. I and, and you know the thing, the thing that there was that evolution of metal documentary that had just put them in the new metal category. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a good. Me to death. And it was a it was a great documentary, but it bugs me to death because, yeah, this you know, I I, I didn't see them as a new metal band that they were the thrash band that kind of moved on and and maybe took a little nuance i mean but their next album would would be totally tribal practically yeah i mean roots was was not not a new metal record in, in in my estimation at least um it was 
well, what do we do whenever we, you know, match up, you know, the indigenous sound of Brazil? Mm-hmm. The percussion. With, oh, my God. That with, song is so good. Yeah. <laughs> that song is yeah. so, so good. But I, I, I really hate hate to put it into new metal, but, I mean, what's happening with mainstream metal in the 90s is is really – it's really hard to – to work with honestly because you have your pantera who of course were reconstructing everything for metal at that point mm-hmm. uh if you ask me i Absolutely. mean there, there was hardly anybody that hardly anybody else that was breaking breaking new grounds at that point you'd have you'd have to dig deep under the the glaciers of norway to find you know the black metal saviors of metal and whatever, you know, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that the mainstream part of it versus the, the, the underground part of it are so completely, you know, they're at opposite ends of the earth. Um, but I, I love chaos AD. I saw that tour. Um, it, it may never happen like, that again for them <laughs> and that's okay with me i'll let i'll let this one stay where it is in my memories if one of those bands that were huge usually influential they might have been the biggest band but i mean you wouldn't have metal today mm-hmm. without without sepultura for sure they were just yep. massive and Let's keep on this heavy theme here. We'll keep going here because I'm going to give a shout out. I originally wasn't going to do these guys, but then I realized I hadn't picked them. And I'm like, this is stupid. I got to do these guys because they were huge. And that's going to be Undertow for Tool, which was. Oh, yeah. They're. Uh, I mean, do we. I, I consider. Opiate is an EP, right? I mean, that's basically considered an EP. Yeah. And it's yeah. a lot. It's, and it's yeah. a li- live album, too, which is, you know, a very interesting way to get started. But Undertow is our first studio album. And Tool were basically kind of like you can make prog rock that's not really for nerds and dial down, <laughs> dial down all of the math stuff a little bit so it's not so complicated, but keep the weird time signatures and the and the weird, uh, you know, you know was, um, uh, symbolism. The not explaining the lyrics, making them kind of questionable, making them dark and and very theatrical and. And uh, yeah. Undertow was a really great introduction to that band. And Maynard James Keenan's voice was still one of the most unique vocals you'll ever hear. Like it's it's heavy, but it's also very effeminate at times, very androgynous. Um, he's got a yeah. really un- unique instrument. Um, Adam Jones is a great guitar player. He's a, he doesn't ever go anything too complicated. He's not a big solo guy or anything, but really great guitars. And of course, um, bass is solid. And then... Uh, drummer's name danny danny carey danny carey that is a drummer right there that that dude is one of the best drummers of his generation if if, if not (laughs) in rock and roll we're gonna go to another drummer like that pretty soon who's in that same category but but man that was a good album and dark and weird but also kind of funny there's a big sense of humor to tool a lot of people don't get i mean they think that i was just saying yeah man there's some big sourpuss but no, Tool are about having a good time in, in their own weird, odd way. And there's some definitely some some dark comic moments on there. But I mean, and also that's 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 one of those albums that you cannot think of the songs without thinking about the music videos. And yeah. 
and for the videos for Sober or for Prison Sex, which were directed by the uh, the guitarist, who really I think has a lot of influence. I don't think anybody out there has listened to this, seen this guy stuff. There's a group called the Brothers Quay. These two brothers did these really strange animated films. And yeah, I got I'm the, trying to think who they were. Yeah, yeah, the Brothers Quay, and they just the same kind of weird shaky puppets uh, stuff. And I think you definitely can see an influence on on him for that. But yeah, Tool that was you know that was their big introduction they would get way bigger this is kind of their first uh, baby step uh but they were perfect i think for the alternative rock uh era but they also had little little uh traces of some old prog and some led zeppelin oh, style yeah. classic rock and all there that they did a really cool sound and uh yeah so we got to give them a shout out i think for sure oh yeah we were talking about morphine kind of being a weird example of a band that were not traditional as far but making, oh, yes. making it work and another band that are very similar but they're way more obscure and that was a cop shoot cop and cop shoot cop were never a big band at that they were they were smaller than even a band like the other they were very underground but cop shoot cop are a really interesting group they're out in new york they had two bassists but no guitarist right and they also had a drummer that played primarily on like kitchen equipment and sheet metal and stuff like that. And uh, it was, yeah, uh, you know, here's the thing is I, I don't remember Cop Shoot Cop all that much. Um, but I remember they were somewhere, somewhere in between of being like this, like Shirley and, and, Einsters and near button. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of Ned's atomic dust in kind little, of thing. A little bit of killing joke kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that, and actually I saw them at South by Southwest in nineteen ninety Yeah, nineteen ninety three, the same year that I bought the album. And it was back when you could buy a wristband for twenty five bucks, if I recall. So things have changed a lot <laughs> for South by Southwest. They were definitely one of the best, uh, really great, really I great. those days. <laughs> I know. When you could actually go see South by Southwest and do it for a week and not be destitute. But they, uh, yeah, Copy Copper, this is a really cool group. They had a really interesting thing going on. The vocals are really cool. I think the guy's name was Todd A. I think he was also a bassist. And they had another yeah. guy, I forget his name, but they had a guy doing keyboard, you know, some industrial stuff. So definitely some industrial, some, like you say, some of the, uh, kind of avant-garde rock and uh, it's really cool heavy group they only came out with one more album called release where they did have actually a guitar player on that so they kind of broke broke their own rule but it still worked and then they went kaput i didn't realize they put out a second record yeah yeah i think they had like three on there was the one with the anvil on it and then yeah the yeah with the that, yeah, the anvil, anvil was the last one that was released and the one with the like the screaming kid with like the duct tape behind him that was ask questions later and that was the album that, that uh, 1993 that I just thought was so dark and, and crazy. But that, I, uh, I think I need to give that record a chance, uh, a, a, a chance or a shot or something like that. I was going to go call it a chance. <laughs> for a second. Give it, give it a chance. I, I give it a chance. It's worth it. And I actually just got a, uh, a promo couple months ago the new group is called this wilderness and it's got one of the one of the guys from cop shoot cop and that's a new singer but he sounds almost very similar to the guy from cop shoot cop so it's kind of a cool little uh throwback to that 
but it's a you know it's one of those bands that, that you would see 120 minutes one week and never see them again and it was oh yeah it wasn't any fault of the group it just they were just there was a saturated market and they were a really weird band to market because they had no guitar two basses kind of a strange thing to to do but they were really cool where do you they, put them you know they're definitely definitely a good a good group it's not, it's not really a good segue, but I, I want to hear what you had to say about Pearl Jam versus, which was a big album for that year for sure. That was one of the biggest. Yes. I'll start it off with 1992 Lollapalooza. Pearl Jam was playing like second on that bill. And they were recording, recording the album. Uh, I think Dallas was like one of the last dates for that tour. And I saw the drummer walking around the lawn <laughs> of Starplex because <laughs> nobody knows the drummer. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, man, I saw a lot of your records. Well, your band's records, because he was new. When is Versus coming out? <laughs> <laughs> He was like, we're hoping for this year, but it's probably going to be early next year. Great. That's good <laughs> enough for me. <laughs> and so, sure enough, they uh, they end up releasing um, Versus the next year, and I loved that record. I loved it more than I loved um, the, the first album, 10. I, 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 well, and I, I, I liked 10 a lot. It was more dynamic live, for sure. But versus, I thought there was there was a lot more. I don't know. There was this goes goes down to the uh, production credit. I think, like we've kind of touched on that. That's so important now uh, in this era. But Brendan O'Brien did this record, and he's done quite a number of Pearl Jam records since then, but there's something about about the work that, that they did on this record. I thought the songs were really good, <laughs> you know, honestly. Um, and I'm trying to think, was Daughter, Daughter was on that record, right? Yeah, yeah. And Daughter yeah. was a, a big, big hit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's just weird stuff like Bugs, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I love the first single. I thought "Go" was that's my favorite Pearl Jam songs. Actually, I just love that, like how, uh, yeah, hev- how yeah. heavy, heavy, and almost, almost industrial in a, in a way. It almost has that kind of sound. It was very aggressive for them. I mean, more so than they, they are. They're definitely hard rock, but that was a much more aggressive, heavy thing. That I think they've done kind of before or since. Yeah. Um. Daughter, glorified G, Dissident. That was the other one that I was trying to think of. Oh yeah, trying to think in order. Man, I love Dissident. I love there's that that's about as classic rock sounding, you know, a, a, a lean to the the uh, those who came before them. Mm-hmm. That that you're gonna probably get honestly, but very majestic. The guys in the band are, 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 are super cool, and or at least you know they were then. 
So, but I, I really like this record. This is this is would be the one uh, B to probably the one A of In Utero uh, on the highly anticipated scale. Mm-hmm. People were asking and asking and asking for this record all over, and so. Just a funny thing that I ran into Dave Abrazizi <laughs> walking the lawn, just walking out there like nobody, you know. Those are the days. Nobody, nobody was bugging him. Nobody bugged him. Just me. That was it. Watch him walk all the way across. <laughs> he had just played a set where everybody had stormed the seats. He was just in, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world. Just walking across the lawn. That's good that, for him. <laughs> that, but that that was kind of that was kind of grunge for you right there, trying to be the mm-hmm. big fan of the world, but still trying to be able to walk around and and not act like you're full of yourself or be an actual rock star. That was a different thing that was going on then, which is kind of continued. Yeah, I, think, um, I think he he was about the only one that could walk across without the lawn. Being, Nobody without, else could without getting without mobbed. being seen. Yeah, yeah, and so. He was from Dallas, and so I think he felt a little bit of hometown vibe too. So, um, yeah, it was it was it, it was a good record. I, I really enjoy that record. I still like it. I love, I, I, you know, as far as Pearl Jam records go, I, I, maybe I should say I, I, I like Pearl Jam records as a whole. I really love their live show. It really there's something else going on there. That they're that they just can't capture in the studio. I, I, I still I still wouldn't mind seeing them again. It's been a while, but um, still wouldn't mind seeing them. Yeah, they're one of those bands that have that like you know they're not a jam band at all, but they've got that kind of following because their live shows are so you know that's really their yeah that's this their medium you know they know how to how to work it. It is that is their medium. But I think we were talking about, you know, Kurt Cobain and losing some of the, the grunge singers. But we lost another singer this year from a very different band. Um, and it was Dolores Reardon from the Cranberries. And yes. the Cran- Cranberries yep. put out an album in 1983 calling Everyone Else Can Do It, So Why Can't We? And I thought it was a really great, wonderful debut album. I thought they were, it kind of, to me, had little elements of like Cocktail Twins or The Sundays, you know, uh, a little bit of dream pop here, a little bit of folkiness here. And, uh, you know, some little folk, Irish folk kind of, you know, kind of a, a feel to it. And just a really solid debut album. It didn't get a lot of acclaim at the time. And they weren't really a critic startling kind of a band, but, but they were one of those bands that were able to have a totally different sound than what was popular, but still be, you know, big hits. Cause they had songs like linger, um, you know, or dreams, which are so just great hooks, you know, and are very unique vocalist, but they also had, you know, some, uh, some real uh, darkness to him as well. I mean, there's definitely what was some, um, I don't want to say goth, but you could kind of, there were some elements of that. Some of their earlier songs, there's uh, the last song it's called, uh, what's the name of that last song? Oh, I can't remember. It's going to bug me. You remember it? Uh, it was something about, I, to, I don't, I have to look it up. It's bugging me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look it up and go back because it was a really, really, really good song. Look it up real fast here. Let me go back. 
<laughs> it's, it's just it's like a mental block of me. It's like I gotta find out what it is. Okay, so yeah, they had a really good song. The last song that was called "Put Me Down" as a really awesome kind of nineteen sixties uh, little folkiness there going on. But I just thought that the Cranberries were really great. They went on, of course, to make a second album with Zombie, which almost had a kind of a grunge sound to it. But this was kind of their first entry into into uh, rock. They were very, you know, made a pretty big splash. But it yeah. was it was kind of nice when you had so many albums that we were turning on, cranking out such heavy guitars. Have something you kind of have something is is a the alternative to that alternative to alternative, I guess you could say. You have something that was kind of more chilled yeah. out, and and they were a great chill out. Uh, you know, read a book, cry over your ex leaving you or whatever you have to do get on with it but but they were they were a great background music for that and she was a great vocalist and it it sucks that she passed away because she was you know they were they were a good band and i think they're probably getting more of their just due now because of that always happens when you know some tragedy happens they get people start saying how great they were but they were a great band so yeah yeah and I see here you've ah you've got spilt milk on your list here from Jellyfish. So I yes, I think we should talk about Jellyfish a little bit here. Yeah, spilt milk. Last album that Jellyfish did. Um, man, I really wish they would have put out more albums. They're um, great. This was this was such a fun record. I have so many great memories of just hanging out with with uh, friends of mine, just on a Friday night, we, you know, grab some beers and, and, and go over, you know, back whenever we, I, we actually did this, but, you know, we would actually just listen to music and sit around and, and, and gab and, and drink beers and just have a good time on, on, on a Friday night. And this was one of those records that, got got stuck in the playlist we always found it showing up somehow um super melodic lots of leans to all the all that 60s psychedelia going on it was just power pop at its finest it really i i, I loved i love this record and i maybe it's just because of that those you know friday nights or saturday nights or whatever it was whenever we would just all hang around with each other and have have community <laughs> and break bread while listening to jellyfish <laughs> <with> milk <laughs> but well, that's... no i mean i I, lo I love joining a fan club uh new mistake was another another big one that i um that i remember I, I could I could probably pull this record out and it maybe not know all the lyrics, but I would know the melodies and I could hum along to them to this day. Yeah, they were one of those groups, kind of like the Posies too, where they were you know they were doing power oh, yeah. pop, power pop, but it just that they had that one hit in the late eighties, the King is Half Undressed, maybe nineteen ninety. That's when right. it came out. But but they were you know they when, when grunge hit, they didn't really that style of music just never really never really caught on you had b bands like that or school of fish and you know that had that kind of sound but they just were yeah 
more of a cult app, but Jellyfish are really great. And then those guys go on to do a lot of stuff, like Roger Manning and some other guys. They, they did like a lot of music for Sophia Coppola stuff, and they did were in that weird. I'm, I know a- uh, Andy <clears throat> something. Um, he went on and did. I thought he did like cartoons. Yeah, something like that. And like I think... like s- soundtracks and stuff like that. So. Um, very talented, very talented. Yeah, I, of, that's that sounds right. That uh, Roger Manning went on and did a whole bunch of other stuff too. How he did like, oh gosh, what was it? Something drag, imperial drag. Yeah, that oh, that they had that one hit that uh, was boy or a girl was so catchy, and that was pretty, yeah. much it, pretty much it for them. But that was a really it fits right in, fits right in with with you know with what he was doing before but you know i hope those guys are still doing doing something yeah that... making music and 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 having having a good time because i love spilt milk i i, I loved it more than i loved I, I, more than i liked even belly button but this was a cool record and i think a, a, a lot of my um affection to it is because of just hanging out with my with my my friends and just man, we just listened to this record all the time. Loved it. Always on the playlist in nineteen ninety three. And I think another album that for me was kind of fit that mold too. It was a very unusual. Is another one we're talking to here about an eighties uh, person coming, you know, uh, act going into the nineties. But I really enjoyed uh, Terrence Trent Darby's Symphony or Dam, which came out in nineteen ninety three as well. And I was I, waiting for you to talk about this one. And I, I thought I thought Terrence Trent Darby was one of the was one of the coolest dudes. I thought that that introducing the Hardline in '87 or whenever that came out was a great, great debut. The guy's voice is amazing. Voice, voice, voice is amazing. You know, he 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 was a little bit of a weirdo. He 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 had a little huge ego, egotist. Uh, I think he's just a little bit. Just he's a free spirit, guy and he was very hard to market. And his next album came out, and his next album, neither fish nor flesh, was flopped. No one even heard it. I don't oh think, my gosh! Because it it did so poorly. But for this album, he came back, and he had that song "I Kissed Her," which was so yes. weird because it was almost like a little bit grunge, a little bit heavy guitar, but but still with his like kind of soulful delivery. And the whole album though is just awesome. It's a great, 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 great album. That it was. Got, it was better than the one before it. Oh yeah, and I think it's almost almost as good as as this first album. Oh and yeah, it, and it definitely had you know got a little more acclaim. It wasn't a huge huge album, but it was it that it did have some hits because it had uh, that song I kissed her. It also had uh, delicate, which that I I remember I saw before on Jay Leno. I remember that distinctly. And uh, wow, he, <laughs> yeah, and and he he was it was a duet with uh, I never get her name right. Is it Desiree or Desiree? Des, Desiree, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, she sang backup on that song. It was a really cool duet. But the whole album is really pretty good. I think it's got some really good uh, melodies on there. Some the production is really cool, and it's got one of the best closing tracks ever called "Let Her Down Easy," which is this amazing ballad that he closed with. It. It's just so it, it's you know, it's not as good as as uh, "Sign My Name Across Your Heart," but it's pretty damn close. It's a really great right closing ballad. Just he he had. There's something really unique about that guy. I don't know what I can say as to why, besides his vocals, which are just you know. But he had some. He just he's just an original, 
artiste, you know, he has something different going on than anybody yeah. else. And it really shined through on this album, I thought, a whole lot. Oh, yeah. I, Just, I, I think his downfall may have been he was trying to be better than Prince. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can be many things, it, but you can't be better than Prince. <laughs> and and, and it, I, I really, I honestly think if he had just, you know, collected himself and said, you know what, let Prince be over here and let Terrence Trent be right here, <laughs> then I think we would still, we still may be hearing from him today. Yeah, because now he's. I think his competitive spirit on his next level. May, may have may have gotten the best of him at that point. I think it's so, probably true. Symphony or Damn was a good record, though. I I, I agree with that. Really it's, good. It's been a long time since I've li- listened to it, but yeah, that was a, that was a good record. Yeah, it's one of those albums that's kind of fallen off my radar because I haven't listened to it in a long time. But this is makes me like want to go yeah. back and check it check it out again. And and uh, yeah, I, I did a search on him recently trying to figure out what's happened to him. He's like changed his name into some. He's a, a whole. He's changed his entire. Is you wouldn't even recognize his name anymore. And he's still doing music, but he's kind of determined to make himself. Yeah, hard, that's hard, right. Make him. He's determined to make himself hard hard to find. <laughs> he doesn't make it. <laughs> does doesn't make it easy on himself to to do what he I wants don't to know do. Who that is? <laughs> Terrence String too. I don't. I, I do not know who you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but. But he's still going, doing but he something out there. But he put out some good records, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good whenever he was around, right? <laughs> yeah, what happened to that guy? Because then he went to the Vibrator next, which wasn't that great. That was kind of a, next time was it was kind of a, a just didn't seem as sharp or as focused. Or This, was, yeah. this, this yeah. was a good one. This was a damn good one. Yeah, it was. It was for sure. For so, sure. So what should we tackle next here? Well, I guess maybe we could hit on um, the Diggable Planets just because of that um, unique uniqueness that's going on here. Oh yeah, especially going you know going from Terrence Trent. Um, this was that time, you know. I, I know I know we talked about. Uh, judgment night earlier but there's in 1993 i think things in the hip-hop and rap community started to kind of change a little bit and i think i don't know if 93 was a year or not but you started getting a lot of um a lot of acts that were getting into sampling the jazz tracks Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, we have Tribe Called Quest, of course, doing that. Us and three. I, oh, my gosh. And I probably should have picked them on this list. Um, right. I mean, there's so much to choose from. But I, I think I think recognition should be given to Diggable Planets because I, I really think that they're an untapped source, an untapped band. That had a lot of talent. Only a couple of records, but a lot of talent. Very, and very, very unique. That, yeah, I mean, it was a, uh, the trio with a couple of guys and a girl, and that was what. I mean, we had heard the rest of development, but that was kind of a different scene that day. Yeah, you know, it didn't. It didn't seem to work with the elements. Uh, the funky jazz elements that Diggable were 
we're using. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really think that, and I'm not by no means am I saying, you know, the tribe was was any less of a record, but I think people, the people, should know that Diggable Planets reaching was a an outstanding record that should have at least a little bit of recognition. Yeah, especially for something so different, but that was you know from what was going on at the time, but, you know, making it very cool and, and making that kind of jazz. Yeah. were really unique. So that was another kind of like oh. chill out thing you listen to and just kind of groove out. And... So laid back. Yeah, absolutely. So laid back. And, and it, it's not like that they were really pounding a message or anything like that, but they had really, really insightful, intelligent things going on in the records. Um, I know that one of the guys in the band, Shabazz, has um, a new project called Shabazz Palaces, which is actually on the Sub Pop record label. Oh, oh wow. Um, so that may be something. I, I, I've, I've not heard the – I think there's a new one out this year, or maybe it was last year. Anyway, their their last couple records have been pretty cool. Um Still kind of still kind of um walking around that same sort of scene a uh, little bit a little bit different, but at the same time you know push push the limits you know, but in the meantime, digable planets reaching great record and we're gonna i'm gonna do a complete turnaround from this just because um do we've been it talk, we've been talking about keep back to the Seattle nirvana and and things like that. And one band that, you know, influenced so many Seattle bands, but they're one of those bands. It's like the Ramones who influenced a million people about the album, but they weren't like a household name at the time. But one of the bands I think was so influential on nineties alternative rock, but they were not a big household name was the Melvins. And you chose Houdini on your list. And so I think we should I, take, take a dive into that. Boy, I tell you what, if you, weren't familiar with the Melvins at that point, you were not alone. I ran across them in like 91 or on, um, um, trying to think what the album was called bullhead. It was like in 91 and they had float, floated around for uh, a handful of records after that. The explosion of Nirvana happened and I don't know if the story goes that Kurt was able to get them signed to Atlantic Records or anything like that. Probably, but I think it makes it makes sense. <clears throat> it, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I, I I don't know how the story really goes, but at the same time, record labels were just dying to sign the next the next big thing. The next the next the next one here. The next next here sign right there, and um. Houdini was was the the child that came from from this union uh, with Melvin's in Atlantic, and it man it, it's a it's by you know all accounts their most popular album that they've ever had, probably but, will ever have. <laughs> but you definitely they, can't. Uh, they did a they did a Kiss cover on it, Going Blind, but um, they have 
Night Goat, which is a fantastic song. Honey Bucket on there. Um, just a just a if if you had no idea who the the Melvins were and require a little bit of uh, production, this is the album to start with. <laughs> Otherwise, start with uh, Bullhead and proceed forward. See, the Melvins is, is a weird band. I find it's happening to me more as I blog more, but it's so weird to me that I've interviewed two guys from that band. It's very strange. I get to talk to both Buzz Osborne and Dale Crover, who are both super, and Dale. yeah, yeah, super, super nice guys. And right. And but I the thing is, I wasn't that familiar with them. I knew of them, so I was offered the chance to interview them. And it's the kind of thing where you don't want to sound like an idiot, so you do some research. But it's like I knew of them. How could you not know of them? But I kind of went back and did some research, and, and Houdini had some really great songs on there that, that I was able to kind of gravitate to where now I'm a, become a massive Melvins fan. So I'm so glad I got a chance to interview interview Buzz and get kind of a perspective on that and, and get to appreciate him. Because actually the, the year I saw I interviewed him was the same year I saw him play at the House Score Horror Fest. So it's kind of gave me kind of a double dose of, of Melvins and really kind, oh, of, wow. really kind of appreciate just, you know, what a force they are. And, and I mean, talk about prolific. Yeah. They put like two albums out a year. Basically, they tour all the time. They they never stop touring ever. Time. And uh, yeah. just a perfect example that you don't have to be a millionaire to be a rock star and and be a success because they've got a diehard following. They're never gonna not yep. have an audience doing their own thing. They're not commercial in any way, shape, or form. But you know, but they're just they're great. The Melvins are just flat out great American rock band. Totally original. Totally influential Absolutely. and uh, weird as hell, which is why I, I think I've, I've grown to love them so much. They're just, <laughs> I like they're just, the weird as hell part. Yeah. They're, they're just <laughs> strange. And, and I, I, I like strange. I like weird stuff. I just do. I always have like things that are just a little bit kind of off the beaten path. And the Melvins are best off the beaten yeah. path as, as you can get in, in a good way. In, right. In my, in my humble opinion. <laughs> And I'm looking through your list. Oh, you've also got Breeder's Last Splash. And that was another big 93 album. And oh, yeah. It was... Uh, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Well, I just want to see what what your take was on it, because I know you, you had put on your list. I want to see what your thoughts were on Last Splash, and I think it's kind of a good time to talk about because they've just come out with a new album, actually. and are, Yeah, are, which I, I have not been able to listen to yet. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, and... Uh, you know, I, I know the the first incarnation of them happened with uh, Kim and Tanya Donnelly, who was coming out of throwing muses at the time, and then they kind of evolved just a little bit. And Kim got Kelly, her sister, <laughs> mm-hmm. to play guitar. <laughs> uh, apparently, it took two weeks, and then hey, we're going on tour. Um, and then after that. Uh, I guess they started recording Last Splash, and it was, you know, I don't know if you heard heard Pod at all, but Pod was, I mean, it, you know, it's it's just a funny funny thing because whenever you take a member out of a band and they sound kind of just like the band, there's not a lot of stretch going on there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, because Kim Deal sounds like she was doing Kim Deal Pixie songs. And 
I like Kim Deal Pixie songs, and you know, just as much as I like Frank Black Pixie songs. So this is just a, a, another extension. I don't think she was really treading new ground or anything like that. Um, but this was such a fun record. This is, you know, this is the one that we all had a, a good time with. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think whenever it was released. It must have been towards the end of the summer. Because um, I could have sworn I saw him in the fall. But um, yeah, I, I get really confused, you know, confused with this album because I, I could have sworn that like Cannonball came out way before the album came out. It seemed like that video was out way before, and maybe just my memory. Because I, I seem to remember like watching that video with friends like in my college yeah. dorm, and then it didn't come out until I, I switched. So I'm just, I'm kind of displaced on that. But I mean, Cannonball, of course, was was huge cannonball was 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 a big hit no aloha was a really cool song on there um uh do you love me now i mean song title wise i don't have a lot of things that 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 really jumped out at me that i can remember 25 years later but um man i i really like this record if if you were missing kim deal Pixies stuff, then this is where you went. And I always liked the Pixies, so this was a natural progression for me. And I still think it's it's one of the best albums that came out that year. Definitely a good one, and it's cool that they're back. I have to hear their check of their stuff sometime yeah. at some point. Yeah, my totally stack forward to it, but need to get around to it. <laughs> exactly, I think. I'm going to give one more shout out to one more 80s band. And it's, I guess my last one before we go into our mutual in a, in a little bit. Okay. But, but the one that, that I really uh, thought was a great album that came out and went away with, with a whimper was She Loved Jezebel's Heavenly Bodies. They're one of those bands. They, they were an 80s band and they came out in 1993 and they switched labels. And the one brother, there was a twin brothers, Jay Aston, who I've interviewed a couple of times, right. he's a super nice guy. His brother Michael, right. who left the band, is not a nice guy and has been a real, a real piece of work. I mean, he's emailed me on several times and has, has been kind of a, kind of a. a, I, was, a ter- I was wondering, is somebody going to email you anything out of this? They probably, I probably will get some very terse statements. Uh, okay, but, but you know, I've talked to Jay. I've talked to the guitarist James Stevenson, who's played with everybody from like Billy Idol to, to oh my gosh, to. Tony Visconti, I'm all over the place. So this is a really solid band, and Heavenly Bodies was a really fun album that kind of saw them kind of stretch their muscle. They had one song called Josephina, which is almost a little, almost like a, kind of a uh, aggressively rock sound for them. You know, very uh, very right. he- uh, as far as heavy. You know, they didn't get too heavy because that's not their sound. But there, it was one of those albums that came out on some little label. I can't remember what the label even was, uh, but it came out. It was not fashionable at the time because it was 1993, and we covered that. You know, that was the uh, post-punk goth sound, which is not was not very popular at the time. But it was just a really good album. It had a right. really, really clean sound, some cool choruses, and that's just one I want to give a shout out to. I think it should have gotten got a little more, a little more, uh, a little more love. So it was a what was a single off of that? Was there any single? There was Josephina, and I think "Break the Chain" was a second single. Gotcha. Josephina sure sounds familiar. Yeah, just, it's a, it's means, a, yeah, it's one of my favorite songs by them. Actually, it's just really a really cool riff. It's really good, catchy chorus. It's just a, 
That's a good one. It was. I remember I bought the single CD, the, the CD single for that, and oh, okay. about a year before it came out, I'm like, this is just a good album. And I think they've all they've mentioned on their website or different articles or interviews that they, you know, they liked the album, but it was just one of those things that just the label didn't have enough funding for it, and you know, it kind of went the way of the didn't get the full the full. Wow, uh, thing I remember that, that single though. Yeah, I think sing- it got some some play here. Yeah, I. I remember I saw it like 120 minutes and, and, and stuff like that, but it just never really. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. They were kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Be nice, Michael. <laughs> yeah. 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 Please, 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 please don't come after me. After me please. Michael. Please don't. It's cool, man. We're just talking about good stuff. That's it. <laughs> I know you weren't in the band for that, but sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so we've gone through our our favorite picks of 1993 we've uh, discussed what we like individually things that we like uh, mutually but we we were talking about one mutual pick that would best sum up 1993 for us and we both came up with the same answer and (laughs) if if you follow my website it should be no surprise given the name of my website that this is my favorite bands even though they get knowing to grief for some reason that are totally well deserved but the album is siamese dream the band is smashing pumpkins and that for me still is one of the best rock albums i've ever listened to i think it's just it's butch vig we mentioned earlier the production is just stellar the guitars in the album are you know it's 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 almost like a more muscular My Bloody Valentine's at some point. They've got Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's a they, good that's a good way to go in. But they covered like so much territory. Cause I mean they came out with Cherub Rock as a first single and god damn, what a first single. Yeah. I mean I mean just the guitar, the guitars on that are amazing. The the lyrics are amazing. It just was one of those songs that just it you just felt that sense of like euphoria when i mean when this is that kicks in it's like that's it's one of those i remember hearing that on the radio on 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 the edge and i heard and 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 previously i like you um had heard gish which is their debut album which is one of the best debut albums i've ever heard i think it's just it's just such a solid entry that kind of shows you what kind of band that they could be but they had already imprinted in my mind their sound that when I heard that first single, I didn't have to hear them sing. I knew it was Smashing Pumpkins. I'm like, this is their new song. And I, it was fantastic. And that was one that took a long time to come out. It took them a long time to record that because that single came out and we waited for months and months for the album to eventually come out because it was a long wait between Gish and Drown on single soundtrack. And then to Siamese Dream was, it was a long journey, but it was well worth the wait. And that's just one of those albums that if I, it's like, you know, it's, it's my top 10 of all time i just it's something i don't know i don't know i don't know why you decide what bands are your bands i don't know how that happens but smashing pumpkins summed up the 90s for me in, in a way some other groups didn't and maybe it was the fact that they could be so heavy but yet be so fragile too i mean you've got you've got disarm which is a perfect example of 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 you know just being so bare and and you know just delicate melodies but the strings you know were so powerful and the tubular bells i mean who puts tubular bells in a rock song you know billy corgan just is kind of a, a mad genius you know at times what he came up could come up with and the sound of the album is just it's just phenomenal i mean and you've got all the hits you've got today 
and all those songs are great. But to me, Siamese Dream is one of the best deep cuts album that you're going to listen to also. Um, oh, yeah. I think about Soma, which to me is, oh, my God, what a what a song that is. Just, it's just that, so, in all of it, it's just, it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, it's just something. And I, I don't know about you. If, if I mean, picking a favorite song off Siamese Dream is really hard for me. But if I, if I had to choose one, I don't know. I probably would go with mayonnaise. I think if I had to choose one, I, I like, would. I would probably go with Soma. Honestly, it's a, it's a real tough call because they both have that same, you know. I know. It, I know. Since, since a heartbreak, but just the melodies are so good, and just what I love about mayonnaise is that weird, those weird like feedback yeah, yeah. parts that they cut in. It's just <laughs> it's 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 very it's very like disconcerting at first here. It's it's so odd. But it's just really the production is phenomenal, and, and I know that album was one that got a lot of notoriety Butch because Fig. yeah, B- B- Butch Fig killing it, Fig. Jimmy Jimmy Chamberlain, who along with Danny Carey is one of the best uh, drummers of his generation. The drums on that album are insane. If you need yep. one song to typify why his drums are so amazing, listen to Geek USA. That song is fucking bonkers, and the drums are just absolutely Geek USA. It's just it's a crazy song. I mean, it's all over the place, but it's so solid, and that's. It's almost metal, you know. That's just, that, they they had a metal side to them, and Geek USA is very it, aggressive. It's, it's borderline. It's really. Smashing is is really. I w- I will tell you, they are not one of my favorite bands. And that's. But and, this record, you know, I, I was initiated with Gish, but whenever this record came out, it was. It was mind-boggling to me. I loved this record. I still love this record. I I, I really I really don't want to see Smashing Pumpkins again. That was cool, but this record should be listened by everybody who appreciates music. Period. There's everything going on in this record, and I I, I picked Soma because whenever we saw them on. Uh, November 1st of 1993. And I remember this because it was my now fiance's birthday at the time, back then, 25 years ago. Um, they were playing Soma, and it became the quiet part. And some kid in the crowd who wanted to hear Disarm or Cherub Rock or something like that was like, come on, man. Rune in the mood, <laughs> always one of those. Yeah, exactly. In the middle, in the middle of the of the quiet part, and Billy Corrigan says, "Oh, come on, man, just enjoy the silence." What do you think happened? <laughs> James Eha started playing down, 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 and the <laughs> band completely broke into an impromptu version. Of Depeche Mode, enjoy the silence. Oh, that's awesome! They... <laughs> and it was it was one of my favorite my favorite concert moments ever. Honestly, <laughs> it was so awesome. And it you know they did it for like maybe a couple of minutes. I was supposed to get my quiet you know shoegazy stuff going on here. You know, the quiet guitar. I wanted to see James Eha. Screw with his, you know, 
pedals and his guitar and it's supposed to be drifty and I'm supposed to be floating in space by now. But then I ended up on the dance floor with some Smashing Pumpkin Depeche Mode remix. And you and you like that? It was still, it was still, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was still pretty cool. Because it could have gone the other way. He could have thrown that hissy fit and just walked off the stage. So, so you got him on, <laughs> you got him on a good night. So that that's, that's exactly that's, that's good. Funny funny part is at the end of the night, my uh, my Capitol Records rep said, "Hey, do you guys want to go backstage and meet him?" And we kind of looked at each other because we kind of knew that they were a little iffy. Mm-hmm. We said, "Nah, nah, it's fine. <laughs> we'll 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 go ahead and le- let this be what it was and and be okay with that." So we never never did go back and meet him or anything like that. We let that show speak for itself, and it was a phenomenal gig. Would I would pay to see that that exact show again? I would pay to see that exact show again. See, he's he's one of the guys in my top of my interview list, but I'm also terrified to talk to him because I'm worried it would go south. Yeah. and I'd be like, why did I spend so much money on your music? And and you know, it's it's been it's, it's been tainted. But but I st- if I get a chance to talk to him, I, I sure would. I mean, they're playing here next I can week, only and, imagine. and I'm probably gonna go I can see only him. Imagine. But yeah, you should. I mean, if you know, I, look that that that's your band. I get it, man. I you know, get it. I understand. But I mean, you're you're talking about how you weren't crazy with it besides that album, and and it's not an unpopular opinion. I mean, I think Smashy Pumpkins, and we're gonna our next thing we're gonna do together, we're gonna do the bands that you either love or hate. I think it's and right. they're a perfect band. We'll go into that more because I cannot wait to do that one with you. That's gonna be fun. But right. I, I I think the thing about the Pumpkins, why I like them so much, and what 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 drew them for me was that, you know, in high school, I liked my Jane's Addictions. I liked my Metallica. I liked my Guns N' Roses. I liked sure. all these different bands. But especially Pumpkins, it was like, okay, if you like the church, do you like Jane's Addiction? Do you like some Black Sabbath? And they smushed it all into one sound. There are so many different things. And I, I, yep. I am fascinated by how they can do that so well. I love the weird transitions that they do where it's just like loud silence, loud silence. There's just the, the, the range of genres they can pull through. And and the and how emotional and and nakedly emotional those, those those songs are. So even if Billy Corgan can, you know, just be a a turd in a punch bowl sometimes, his music and the, <laughs> the, the, he, he he can be, but that his the music is what matters with those guys. And I don't I know the band they've had all their history they've had their infighting and everything else, but you know at the end of the day what matters is the music and that album. Yeah. Is solid. I'd like Melancholy and the Sadness quite a bit, but it's not nearly as good as this because I think anytime you make a double album, you're going to have some songs that probably could have been chopped off. That you because really with Melancholy, it was almost like three. I read an article where he said that he meant to do double albums, but CDs held more, so he basically wrote a triple album, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. And yeah. for for it to be as good as it was, is great. But I think Flood, who produced that album, did something that yes. Butch Vig did not do. But I think it was an error. Butch Vig knew how to record Billy Corgan's vocals better. It wasn't so upfront. It was a little more buried, but it, it comp- I think he sounded, he made him sound a richer vocal where I think Flood pushed him to the front and center and it's a little more nasal. And it kind of is almost, um, it just, it's kind of jarring. Something about the way that Butch Vig mixes the pumpkins is just, he just knew how to do it. And I think. From you know, from Cherubrock to Silverfuck to Quiet to today, it's just and then ending it on uh, on Sweet Sweet and uh, Luna are just two great closing tracks. That it's just 
you know, they talk about albums being a journey, you know, but it's definitely, that album is definitely a, it's a, it covers everything you can it think is. of. And. Agree. I just, I love it. I wouldn't yeah. do anything but agree. And that's, that's one of those, I know that some of those like all on one tours, people get kind of like, oh, it's kind of lame. But if they did a Siamese Dream tour, I think that would be awesome. And I would totally go see it just for that. Cause. I would, I would totally go see that. Because there's not, there's not, there's not one bad song. There's some I like lesser than others, nope. but there's not one bad song in that album. They all have merit. So maybe I'll get my regular version of Soma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's so funny because I remember they did that. They were on that Depeche Mode compilation, but that was that uh-huh. was that yep. was for uh, it wasn't Joy of the Science. That was for um, what did they do? Uh, Never let me down. That's what it was. Yeah, Never let me down. Yeah. So they've yeah. always had, had their Depeche Mode love. So oh, someone... sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It fits. <laughs> it totally fits. It totally fits for me. So, yeah. If I, if I had to choose one album that year, it would be 93. I'm glad you feel the same way. And I think I yep. got to go listen to it now when I wake up in <laughs> <Yeah>. the morning. <laughs> exactly. Well... I think we've covered 1993. I mean, there's so many albums to get through. It was hard to get to them all. I mean, I could go on and on. The yeah. Porno for Pirates put out an album that was out the year. There's a solo album. James is Laid was out that year. There's uh, so many good ones. And and I'll be sure to put some lists of some stuff like that on our, on the website with some uh, alternative picks. But I think we cover the, the heavy hitters. I think that... Uh, it's just they're a lot of fun to revisit. It's been great chatting with you again. I think I love doing this nice podcast. With you too. And I think that when you guys hear us next, we'll be talking about bands you either love or hate, which should be really fun. And we'll, yeah. you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go fast and loose and 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 uh, not be precious. And we're gonna see we're gonna stir up some shit. We'll see, what, <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> just me and you know fill in the blank. <laughs> so that'll be a good one. All right, Chris. Well, thanks for doing this again. And uh, thanks a lot, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank I'll you. Catch, catch you soon, and we'll do the best, best and worst. Sounds great, man. All right, man. Have a good night. I'll talk to you later. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. Big thanks to Chris for taking time out to talk to me today. It's been fun looking back in 1993 with him. As discussed, our next topic we're going to be discussing bands you either love or hate with no in between. So look forward to that. Until next time, take care and talk to you soon. Bye.